right, here we go. Hey, hey, welcome in to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. We're all from blackandredunited.com, where you can read us and what we're writing about DC United, MLS in general, and soccer in general, for that matter. We've got a good show for you tonight. We're going to talk about the MLS Cup playoffs. We just went through the first leg of the conference championships. We're going to talk about those games. We're going to give you a DC United news roundup. And we are going to open the Twitter box and answer your questions. Before we do any of that, though, there's a question I have to ask you guys, and that is this. Ben Bromley, what are you drinking? So I am drinking the 2014 vintage of Hardywood Park Craft Brewery's Gingerbread Stout. It's been something they've released every year. So this is the newest version. I think it's the best one yet. You can really taste like the clover honey, uh, as well as, of course, the gingerbread and the stoutness of it. But the clover honey is what is really pronounced on this one. It makes it really interesting and even better on draft than it is in bottle, but the bottle is very good too. So can you taste the difference between clover honey and, say, wildflower honey or peach honey? No, of course not. Okay, you were just specifying that it was clover honey. Well, that's, that's what it says on the bottle. I don't know. It's okay. Honey. Hashtag marketing. Exactly. Jason, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, despite the weather, which is not uh, late November weather today, um, I've gone with a local Imperial Stout, uh, Heavy Seas Peg Leg Imperial Stout, to be uh, particularly accurate. Um, it's a strong uh, 8% alcohol, um, and it would be excellent were it colder out, but it's what I've got right now, so it's what I'm drinking despite it being like 70 degrees outside. Okay, well, in two days when people are listening to this and it's snowing outside, they're going to hear you and, and pine for the weather of Monday, and your drink will be totally appropriate then. As yeah. for me... That's what I was planning all along. There you go. As for me, I, I'm also drinking something that would be better suited to Wednesday's uh, snow slash sleet slash whatever weather rather than tonight's. And, and that's uh, Sam Adams' Christmas beer. Yeah, I know. It's before Thanksgiving, and I'm drinking a Christmas beer. Sue me. I wanted to keep my New England theme going because we are all revs for the rest of these playoffs. Uh, so that's what I did. And speaking of the playoffs, let's jump right in. We are halfway through the conference championship phase of the playoffs. We have two series that are each separated by one goal, but they are very, very different one-goal series. In the Eastern Conference, uh, New York 1, New England 2, goals from Teal Bunbury and Jermaine Jones were enough to outdo Bradley Wright Phillips' header in the first half. Um, Ben, Red Bull fans are feeling pretty hard done by referee Alan Chapman in this one. And and my question to you is, do they have any leg to stand on in this one? No, I mean, whether or not Bradley Wright Phillips' yellow card was actually a yellow card, for example, he should not be putting himself in that position to make... Uh, the referee make that decision. There is no need for that, uh, for interfering with Bobby Shuttleworth's uh, outlet. He's not going to get anything good out of that. He's not going to like intercept it and make a great goal out of it and let it and it be allowed to stand. So there's no point in doing it whatsoever, especially since you're making the referee make a decision. Uh, similarly, with the offsides calls, um, I mean there's an argument for Jermaine Jones being offside on the goal, but there's a similar argument for 
Bradley Wright Phillips being offside on New York's goal. They were There's about a stronger to... argument that Bradley Wright Phillips was offside. He was further if if Jones was offside then Wright Phillips surely was. Offside. Exactly. Was the same assistant referee. So that those two at the There's very nothing least, there. There's know. nothing yeah, exactly. Those at, at the very least wash each other out. Yeah. So, Jermaine Jones could have seen red, but Eckersley should have been sent off in the first half with a couple of yellow cards. Exactly. Eckersley, how Eckersley finished the game on the field, I have no idea. Uh, because he's a New York player, he doesn't get sent off. See also uh, Oyongo, who played in this game, yeah. who That's tried true. to murder Sean Franklin with uh, his body okay, as a missile. <laughs> I mean, no, to be he, fair, to be like, fair Jermaine Jones' tackle was Packham-esque. Uh, well, uh, he he maybe he gets to play by the similar rules. We saw Robbie Keane in the other game uh, get to kick the ball thirty yards into the stands uh, after the whistle had been blown and get no, not even so much as a like, hey, don't do that. And actually, uh, Jermaine but, Jones did the same thing in this game. Right, so, so so he's just in the club with the same guys that get uh, to play by different rules from everyone else. None of those players happen to be on DC United ever. Yeah, let's talk about that Bradley Wright Phillips play. Um, so Bobby Shuttleworth went to roll the ball out to his fullback, and Bradley Wright Phillips stuck his leg out and and deflected the the rollout as it exited Shuttleworth's hands. I I immediately saw it and said that's a yellow card. It was a very clear play to me. There was no there, there was nothing iffy or dodgy about that yellow card. It was an obvious infraction worthy of a yellow card by the letter of the law and by every application of the law I have ever seen. That is a yellow card. It was appropriately given. What Bradley Wright Phillips didn't know is there's this thing called yellow card accumulation in the playoffs. And if you get two yellow cards through the first two rounds, um, you are going to miss your next game. And that was his second yellow card after receiving one at the end of the first leg uh, of the semifinal against DC United. And so he's now going to miss the biggest game of his MLS career next week in New England. And that's that's trouble because New York has to score at least twice in that game to have any mathematical chance of advancing. So, Jason, is this on Mike Petkey? Because he didn't know about the rule either by by all sound bites and all accounts. Is this on Petkey? Is this on Wright Phillips? What who gets the blame for for this general uh, this newest application of Metro playoff failure? Well I, I do think I think I read something where um, someone had asked Petkey why he didn't alert his players to the yellow card accumulation rule and he said that one of his thoughts was that he didn't want his players being scared and and being hesitant, but uh, which there's a different if that's if that's uh, you know if that's 100% what he said, there's a difference between telling your defenders and midfielders that and having them make a costly mistake. Uh, Dax McCarty wasn't on yellow card jeopardy at the time, but um, he ended up uh, on the first goal, not putting in any sort of challenge on Jermaine Jones. He just sort of ran near him, and moments later, the ball was in the back of the net. Part of that, too, I think, was that McCarty just felt like he didn't have a chance of winning that challenge with uh, Jones because Jones is much bigger and stronger. But regardless, um, that's the kind of thing that can happen. That's the kind of idea Petkey will be talking about. There's a difference between telling a defensive midfielder that and telling uh, Bradley Wright Phillips that because Bradley Wright Phillips can alter his game and not 
um, going hard or do things like this if he if he's told, hey, you could get suspended for the next game if you do this. So he would say, okay, one thing I shouldn't do is try to block the goalkeeper rolling the ball out. Um, so I suppose part of the – I mean, I have a hard time um, feeling bad for any of them, I guess, because I feel like if I was a player in, in professional soccer, I would be aware of the yellow card rules pertaining to me specifically. Um, I feel like someone on the team's coaching staff would be aware of the rules pertaining to all of their players uh, and would alert somebody at some point. Um, and I don't think Petke's logic really holds. I think it's it's worth um, in a two-legged tie in, in the first leg to sit someone down and say, listen, we need you to get through this one without a card if you possibly can. If you pick up a yellow because you had to, fine, but don't get one that's that's for no reason. You know, Try and restrain yourself from arguing with the referee the revs were probably outplayed in that, but they, they still have to be favored to go through in the second leg. Do you think they have any chance at either L.A. or Seattle? I mean, I think they've got a better than no chance. I think okay. that with Jermaine Jones on the field, uh, with Lee Nguyen, with um, the resurgent, the surprising resurgence of Teal Bunbury and uh, Charlie... And Charlie Davies playing well. I think I think they have a puncher's chance. Um I mean, obviously, I think that L.A. or Seattle would be favored. Hey, he's back. But I, I think they have a chance. All right, let's turn to the other uh, conference final now. L.A. Galaxy 1, Seattle Sounders 0. Goal by Marcelo Sarvis. Ben, how much would you take, on a scale of 1 to Echeverry, how much would you want to have Marcelo Sarvis this winter on D.C. United? Just assuming... LA goes out and picks up a Wesley Snyder or somebody else that has to slot into their midfield, meaning that that maybe Sarvas or Juninho is surplus to requirements. How much would you want a Marcelo Sarvas on DC United next year? I mean, out of out of the realm of possibility, that is like players who are currently in MLS. I mean, I would have, I would prefer a Jermaine Jones to Marcelo Sarvas. You would prefer an $8 million designated player. Yes, I would too. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, slightly more in the realm of possibility, a Matias Laba. I think I would still go for Matias Laba over a Marcelo Sarvas. But yes, I would love to have Marcelo Sarvas. I think he would be a significantly better version of Davey Arnault uh, in Ben Olsen's system and would be able to last longer and is more athletic and I think would just be a better overall fit. I mean, Davey Arnault was amazing in this past season, but I think Sarvas would be even better. Yeah, Sarvas is only a year younger than Arnault. He just seems younger because he hasn't been around the league well, as fine. long. I think you're right. Laba is the right answer in this. And I, I was trying to get some answers from other SBN people today about Matias Laba's situation in Vancouver because it's a weird – his trade – or was a weird uh, temporary trade. That was apparently made, uh, that was settled. Oh, it was settled, it's now permanent? Yeah, Vancouver has been saying that that deal is done and that they've, whatever whatever the stipulation they had to meet was, they've already met it or some such shady, possibly shadowy uh, nonsense. They also said that they'd signed Camilo, so who the hell knows what's going on in that <laughs> Um. 
yeah, I, maybe, maybe I'll talk to someone, one of our friends up from Waking the Red in Toronto, and see what's going on there. See if there's more than meets the eye. Uh, L.A. controlled things in this game, but it, it wasn't exactly the romantic dream affair that that the suits at MLS had wanted between L.A. and Seattle, the two highest-scoring teams in the league this year. Jason, do you think that has something to do with the away goals rule? Both teams kind of played the classic away goal cynicism in the semifinal round, basically just trying to minimize the other team's goals rather than going out and playing their usual game. And I think we saw that especially from Seattle in this one. They didn't go out and push for an away goal. They just tried to minimize how many home goals L.A. could get. Do you think that the away goals rule had any effect on this? And and if so, was it positive or negative? Uh, I mean, it it definitely had an effect. I think... um... Seattle throughout the playoffs have been extremely defensive by by their standards, and not just by their standards, but by most standards. Um, they've been looking to send just um, Dempsey and, and Obafemi Martins on most of their attacks. It's just, well, let's find those two and see if they can do something on their own. Um, there's not much interest in sending numbers. And that's kind of... That strategy almost worked a lot. <laughs> Yes, um, or it's it's a nice uh, thing to have in your pocket when you have those two players as your forwards. You can actually win games by saying, we're going to send two, and then our other nine guys are just going to be back here trying to stop soccer from occurring. Um, they did play Marco Papo, which is at least some sort of nod towards uh, the concept of trying to score a goal sometime. Um, of their wide players, he's definitely the most uh, or the least uh, defensive-minded. But... Uh, in general, I think, from an entertainment perspective, it, it had a, a net negative impact. Um, but uh, the problem is with any of these two-legged tie uh, setups, whether it's away goals or if you just give the higher seed the, the tie-breaking advantage or whatever you choose, uh, there's always going to be a flaw and there's always going to be at least one team trying to play to uh, game the system, so to speak, and um, Seattle went to L.A., um, without Alonso, so I think that for them, they were thinking if we lose by by one a one nothing scoreline, that's not bad. If we happen to get two one, that would be even better. But um, certainly they uh, they certainly made their choice, and, and I think it's interesting to watch go, or to go back over the years with Siggy Schmidt. He's always been um, a coach that when the chips are down, when the times are tough. He will go defensive. Um, he did it in Columbus. He did it with his old game. The reason he got fired from the Galaxy was a, a stylistic issue. He was in first place at the time, but they said that the team was not uh, interesting enough to watch, and they, they said it was no good. Um, so once again, we have a guy, and this time he's had, for MLS purposes, uh, you know, an incredible amount of money. He's got a, a great range of talent. Um, and at the first sign of difficulty, he has gone away from the let's go forward and score five goals like they were in the regular season. Now it's all of a sudden like, let's try and just turn this game into a 0-0. Zero, zero. Um, but uh, that's, that's what he did in D.C. too. Yeah, and that, he's Seattle done that. D.C. this year. Yeah, and he's done that over the years. And I wasn't partic- I was kind of surprised that they didn't attack Dallas um, much at all. I think Dallas was a team that is basically Matt Hedges and, and three other defenders. I mean, they played Javon Watson as right back, and they have for a while now, so it's not like it's a uh, a great wall to get through. Um, so 
I felt like Seattle could have gone attacking there, and they opted not to. Against L.A., at least, it makes a little more sense. Um, but uh, I really wish that we had some other... Uh, the away goals rule, I just... It just I don't like the way it, it's adding up. I, I think it has a negative uh, impact on a lot of these series, um, and teams are maybe almost overcompensating for the, they they have the idea that they need to be a little more cautious, and they're almost going too too vigorously towards that. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, just to mention quickly, referee Kevin Stott was a story in this one, just like his colleague Alan Chapman was a story uh, up in New Jersey. Apparently, you know there there were a lot of of fouls in this game and a lot of yellow cards. Both teams were playing very very physical, and Zach Lloyd, center back for Seattle, probably could have been sent off. Zach Scott, Zach Zach Scott, sorry, not Zach Lloyd. Zach Lloyd is in Dallas. Yeah. Zach Scott could have been sent off in this one, and apparently an LA Galaxy player who may only exist in Omar Gonzalez's imagination, we're not sure because Gonzalez isn't naming him, was told by by Kevin Stott that he wasn't going to send anyone off. He wasn't going to give a second yellow because he wants both team starters to play in the second leg. We don't know if that's true. Pro came out and said no. He told the player he, that, that it was, or he told a Galaxy player that it was just a foul that wasn't worthy of a, a yellow card in that context. Who knows what the truth is? Um, and, and I can see Stott being in a situation where he says, what he's trying to say is, I don't want to send people off. I don't want the next leg to be less of a good game. It's a way for him to try and uh, get on the side of the players and have them think that he's not their dire enemy right now. He's saying, you know, I'm trying to help you guys have the best series you can, um, so I'm not going to go sending people off left and right. Um, maybe he worded it poorly. Maybe there was a misunderstanding. I mean, um, let's say Gonzalez's teammate is a real person, but is not a uh, English as a first language speaker. Mm-hmm. Um, there could be a small misunderstanding in the heat of the moment that becomes this uh, um, conspiracy opening uh, nonsense. And, and it is kind of awesome to have L.A. and New York uh, spouting referee conspiracies <laughs> and, and saying that they've been. Uh, the, the league is uh, picking anyone but them. The, uh, I guess that is a wonderful probably, irony. That is a wonderful irony. They're uh, going to have to work on it. They're going to have to get better at it with practice over time. Yeah. Omar Gonzalez is building a habit, though, and this is makes three of the last four games where he's basically come out after the game and, and laid some kind of derbis at the feet of the referee. So who... Who knows whether this is real or Omar being Omar. Regardless, let, let's turn our attention now closer to home to DC United. We have a little news roundup to do here. The Shivas RIP uh, dispersal draft happened this past week, and DC United pulled off the festering corpse of the goats. One, Mr. Tommy McNamara, who was selected in the mock dispersal draft by our own Ben Bromley. Congratulations on accuracy there Ben thumbs up uh, Tommy McNamara Jason I know you are a fan just because of the swagger he brings to the field um, Ben what, what do you think of of McNamara as a pickup this is slightly aside from him being a pickup but I enjoyed one of our commenters who said that he kind of looks like Eugene from The Walking Dead uh, with the mullet I just yes he's got a mullet 
He doesn't look the part of a typical uh, soccer player. Uh, and But he's the guy who tricks you. He's uh, He's creative in possession. He can run at you. He's more athletic than he looks. Uh, I think it's a great pickup. And I think, I mean, obviously I don't think that uh, Ben Olsen and Dave Casper are going to use a protection slot on him in the upcoming expansion draft. So if Orlando or New York really want him, I think that uh, the team will be fine with letting him go, but I don't, I don't really see that happening. And I think he's going to be a good addition for next year. I think he's going to give them an element of uh, both creativity with a side of grit that Ben Olsen likes that he can really make an impact next year. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see where and how he slots in. I know Matt Doyle um, hypothesized that the DC United could switch from uh, Ben Olsen's four, four, two to some other, uh, formation in some other system next year, be it a four-two-three-one, some kind of four-three-three, maybe with Perry Kitchen uh, at the base of a midfield triangle. Um, we will talk more about that this off season, I'm sure, but but we won't dedicate any time to it tonight. Uh, on the stadium front, DC United, uh, of course, is searching for a way to build their stadium down on Buzzard Point. This will require the city to put the land together. D.C., the city, uh, the District of Columbia, originally had planned under Mayor Vince Gray to swap the Reeves Center, a building uh, at 14th and U that was built during uh, Marion Barry's administration. Of course, Marion Barry just passed away this past weekend. Um, he, he'd been sick for a while, um, but had just come off a hospitalization and then passed away, his family confirmed. So... Uh, a lot of people going through loss because Barry was a very important figure in DC and he he's an incredibly complex and an individual a lot of good things, a lot of not good things um, definitely a figure worth studying if you're a, a, a fan of American history and American cities history uh, in particular but the plan was originally to swap the Reef Center for land on Buzzard Point owned by the Ackridge Development Company that is no longer in the cards. Mayor-elect Muriel Bowser has pulled the Reeves Center. Apparently, we learned tonight from the Washington Business Journal's Michael Niebauer uh, on Twitter. He is at WBJ Niebs, N-E-I-B-S. Uh, he is reporting that the committee on... Is it government ops? Yeah, the committee yes. on government ops has is going to, to vote tomorrow to, to say that swapping the Reef Center, dispensing with the Reef Center, is not in the city's best interest. So the Reef Center will not be a part of any deal going forward, whether it be a land swap or an auction or anything else. The Reef Center is, is not going anywhere in the immediate future, which means the city is going to have to come up with some money elsewhere to, to pay for anything. This the, the Committee on Government Operations is also going to find that eminent domain should be allowed when it comes to the properties on Buzzard Point. So uh, hopefully Ackridge comes to the table and he and the, the Bowser administration in waiting will be able to come to some kind of agreement. And, and most likely by the time you hear this podcast, everything we just reported will be completely out of date and obsolete. So 
We're not going to talk about it much more than that. Instead, we're going to turn our attention to the ongoing season review at Black and Red United, uh, a segment that here on the podcast, because I'm in charge, we're still calling Cake or Death, even if it's not called Cake or Death on the website. I do love all the commenters who are still saying Cake or Death in their answers. River or life. (laughs) You shatzer hipster, you, Ben Bromley. River or life. Goat or fox. Oh God, no, no, no! Yes, don't, no, nobody do that. Nobody, no, 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 do not, no, please do not, no, 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 not okay, not okay. All right. It's like it's like that classic riddle where you take the goat over the river or the fox over the river. It's goat or fox or life or whatever, cake or death. We're gonna do this very quickly so we can get to the Twitter box, okay, you guys. Alex Kasky, cake or death? Ben? Death. Jason? Uh, death. It's unanimous. Kasky gets death. Sorry, Alex Kasky. You're a very nice guy, but but you get death. Nick DeLeon, I say cake. Ben? Goat. Jason? Uh, gotta go with goat. Goat, the good one, is goat. <laughs> Obviously, because the fox is the goat. I, I just don't even know anymore. Connor Doyle? River or life, cake or death? Fox. <laughs> I I I agree. He gets Fox death. Fox River Death. No. No. <laughs> Connor Doyle, yes or no? Uh I guess I get I'm gonna have to go Fox. Okay, Alex Dykes uh, Andrew Dykstra, sorry. Andrew you guys are throwing me completely off tonight. Andrew Dykstra, Jason. <laughs> cake or death? Uh for the time being, at least, uh, I say goat. I, I say give him cake. All right, and Ben, I'm not even going to ask you right now. <laughs> this next guy, don't have to ask. Fabian Espindola obviously gets whatever the good answer is. Goat. The answer is not goat. The whole farm of goat. Uh, and then today's entry, uh, David Estrada, Jason, cake or death? Uh... I say I say goat. That is neither cake nor death. But Ben, what do you say? Goat. I, I prefer I prefer him to Connor Doyle. So I think that you can't keep both of them. So I give Connor Doyle Fox and uh, David Estrada goat. I substantively agree with you guys and stylistically hate you both so much. What if the cake had like a goat? Uh, drawn on it in icing. Then I would eat the goat. Okay. <laughs> Let's now open up the Twitter box and stop rising the urge to kill. Um, the first question tonight comes from our friend Steve Graff, who uh, writes for Vavil about uh, soccer in DC United. He Asks he is at sg calcio on Twitter. He he asks us at filibuster dcu. Who are the targets for DC United as outside backs in the offseason? And I think the answer to this comes down to who United loses in the expansion draft uh, that will follow MLS Cup. If if we lose one or more fullbacks, then we're going to have to try to to find some replacement there. But as it is, we've got Sean Franklin on one side uh, with Incum backing him up, and we've got 
Chris Corb and Taylor Kemp in whatever order you prefer on the left side. So I don't know that outside back is a position that, that United needs to be focusing on this offseason, but that could change with the expansion draft. Jason, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, it, it's a hard question to answer right now without knowing who's available. Um, I assume this is a, like, who would we trade for within the league um, sort of a question. Um, that's hard to know without knowing who's going to be on the reentry draft, uh, who the expansion teams take, uh, what happens with them. We've seen a lot of expansion teams take players and then immediately trade them away. So there's a lot of, uh, even more than usual, there are a lot of variables. Um, and uh, I guess a lot of it comes down to the first things first, you know, do we get through the expansion draft without losing Corb or Kemp or if, you know, on the off chance that Franklin is unprotected, if it's him. Um, if Franklin goes unprotected, then we have to go find a starter, I think. Um, and that's going to be uh, a pretty difficult job. Um, we could try and sign um, uh, Jose Salvatierra from Alajuelense and do the um, the same thing we did to Olympia with Luciano Emilio by just taking one of their starters from them. There are worse strategies in the world than yeah. that, by the way. He can also play. It's not just for that one game. The guy actually can play a little bit. Right. Our next question comes from Ted the Ted Meyer, at Ted D. Meyer on Twitter. He asks us, at filibuster DCU, since McNamara is not automatically protected, does DC United protect him? And if so, who do they leave unprotected? So, Ben, you already talked about this a little bit. I, I agree with you. I don't think McNamara gets a protected spot uh, in the expansion draft. Um, if he were to be protected, though, Jason, who is your man on the bubble? Who is your guy in spot number 11 that you would see bumped if, for some reason, McNamara or, or someone else who's on the outside looking in on your list uh, gets in? Who, who's number 11 on your list? Um, well, I think uh, in that case, I, I think I'm trying to remember my list uh, that I published uh, off the top of my head. Um, I would, I think that that would drop um, Eddie Johnson out of the top 11 on mine, um, and so he would be unprotected. Um, I don't think that that's going to happen. I don't think if Ben Olsen has to choose between uh, Eddie Johnson or a guy he just got and has never coached before, he's going to choose the latter. Um, but assuming that he does want uh, maybe his desire for there to be a mulleted player is that strong, and he hasn't been able to force one of the players to just shave one into his head, um, then I assume that it would be, or at least my, I shouldn't say I assume, my list would be Johnson. I don't think that's how it would pan out in reality, though. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Ben, who is on the bubble on, on your list? Who would be bumped if McNamara or someone else took that last spot? I mean, on my list, I think on the bubble is uh, Taylor Kemp. I've, uh, because I have uh, Eddie Johnson not on my list. So, uh, I th I, yeah, Taylor Kemp would be the person bumped on my list. Like I, like I said before, and like y'all have just said now, I don't see McNamara getting protected at all. Um, it's a classic risk-reward where if he gets taken, it, it doesn't matter because he never was really a part of the team. And if he doesn't, then great, they can integrate him into the, into the team later. So there was no disadvantage to taking him. He's going to be cheap. He's coming off an injury that'll... For, that'll question people away. I mean, yeah, there's there's no downside to this, to them taking McNamara. 
Yeah, I agree. If you want to see who's on my bubble, you have I haven't published my piece yet. It's going to go up on Tuesday, actually before this podcast drops. So, go read that. That's that's what you should do instead of me actually giving away my answer here on the show. Go go give us your click, your page views. It's Bill Hamid. Adam hates Bill Hamid. Yes, clearly. That 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 must be it. That's uh, obviously not it, people. One last question tonight comes from Scott Waldman at ST Waldman on Twitter. He asks us at filibuster DCU, what is the most appropriate beverage and Thanksgiving leftover item to hate watch the conference final second leg uh, this weekend on Saturday and Sunday? Uh, Saturday will be the Eastern Conference. I think the Western Conference is on Sunday. So this is a two-part question. What is the beverage? What is the leftover item? Uh, for for me, anyway, the leftover, uh, if you're going to hate watch, you should really be eating your feelings too. And and for me, that means uh, a Kentucky hot brown, which is bread, turkey, bacon, and a, a, a bechamel sauce. It's, it's basically a heart attack on a plate. And tomatoes are on there too. Um, even though they're out of season, you're hate watching. You're not going for good tomatoes. So throw them on there too. It's it's a classic dish. They 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 serve it at the Kentucky Derby every year because it's actually in season during the Kentucky Derby. But who cares? It's got turkey on it, so it's a leftover dish. Um, as for the beverage during it, I would. I mean, I'm gonna go with with any beer from New England because that's the kick I'm on right now. Because we are all still revs until these playoffs are done. We are all revs as far as I'm concerned. And if you're going to hate watch, you may as well, you know, make sure your hate is focused in the right places, which is to say the Red Bulls. Jason, what do you think? What, what, what is your food item and what is your beverage? I guess on, for, for the, the Saturday game, uh, I guess I would go with um, one of my favorite uh, leftover recipes of all time, which is to just take Several different. You take your turkey and your mashed potatoes, and possibly um, your cranberry sauce, maybe some other things, and you just put them on like thick bread, and then you make a sort of a grilled sandwich out of it. You butter the bread, you heat it all up, and you just sort of eat an entire meal in a sandwich form. Um, it's not very thoughtful, but uh, at that point, when you're hate watching, you don't necessarily want complicated thoughts in your head because hate is fairly simple and straightforward. Um, as for the drink, um, I am actually a little bit more of a purist than, than Adam on this, I guess, because I, I feel like my, what I'm doing is rooting for no one to win MLS Cup. I want the trophy not to be awarded this year. Um, so, you have a so beer it, called Sinkhole Ale? Well, I, what I was going to go with was just um, the purest of, uh, of liquors, so I guess it would just be uh, super distilled vodka by itself with no ice. Everclear? Or maybe Everclear if you want to die uh, during spirit. Yeah, um, but they're, they're, I don't want anyone to die. So just just go with some sort of uh, uh, plain uh, vodka, however it's stored. If you haven't put it in the freezer, then you'll have to drink it at room temperature, and that's that's on you. Um, <laughs> yes, down down your sandwich with a glass of vodka. I guess for the other game, it would be some sort of uh, I don't know, super fancy artisanal nonsense that. Uh, uh, people in uh, Hollywood would like and quinoa. also... That Lots of quinoa. Yeah. 
quinoa mi- mixed with a different type of quinoa. <laughs> um, kombucha and Everclear. <laughs> God. That is the most disgusting, perfect <laughs> West Coast thing I've ever heard. Ben, how are you hate-watching this weekend? I mean, I can't top that, but I mean... <laughs> I'm, I'm going to hate watch by if there is any uh, dark meat turkey left over, which is a, a highly unlikely situation. I'm going to eat whatever dark meat is left because dark meat is obviously better than light meat on the turkey. This is correct. And um, I'll probably put it on a sandwich, a toasted sandwich with just a simple uh, mayonnaise, lettuce, tomato, maybe a little bacon. Bacon's good. Uh, and dark meat. Uh, just a very simple turkey sandwich. And then along with that, I'm going neutral. I'm going, I'm not favoring any team, even though I want all of them to uh, fall into sinkholes and not be able to play soccer. And you're just going to drink straight amaretto because that's what you have earned. I have not earned that. I've paid my penance, (laughs) despite what you all have said, despite me being offered up in the expansion draft for the uh, SB Nation new blogs. This is what you get when you don't give us links during Freedom Kicks, is you you get punishment meted out upon you. (laughs) And I'm just going to drink something neutral and just going to drink straight bourbon, because Kentucky is far away from any of these teams. So bourbon is the proper choice. Yeah, and so you might both have some Kentucky going on. Yeah, I mean, I'll be at my parents' house for Thanksgiving, and they live 15 minutes from Kentucky, so I'll be able to get some good shit. There you go. That seems like as happy a note to end on as we are ever going to find on on this show. So thank you all for listening. Find us at blackandredunited.com. Uh, we are on Twitter at filibusterdcu, at blackandredu. Send your hate mail to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, too. We are on SoundCloud. Most of all, tell a friend about us when you're watching soccer because that's generally how people find out about us. So for Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. We will talk to you next week. Until then, say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason. <laughs>